listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody good, 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 good. How many of you is the first time in the building this week? Yep, 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 yep. Glad you're here, man. Glad you're here. It's pretty cool. We're enjoying it. Hope you are. And uh, it's been nice to not have to set up, tear down, do all that stuff. Last week after the service, we just kind of stood around and looked at each other. We were like, what do we do? Can we go home? Is that it? You know? And so it's been nice. And uh, so, uh, but excited about what God's doing in the building, seeing people go for prayer last week. Um, just seeing God work is what we're about. And so we're very thankful for that. Um, today, we're going to continue our series, uh, this series that we started in the high school. We skipped last week and now this week we're back in it um, called, Who Do You Say That I Am? And it's really looking at other religions, uh, the three specific religions being Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam. And we're, we've been going through the book of John. We got to John 14, one of the famous verses where Jesus in John 14, 6 says, um, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so as we've been looking at that, we've been looking at that and asking the question, how do we say that? How do we go about that without sounding arrogant? Because it's the most provocative statement that Christians make is that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Um, and so I want us to look at that. Do all roads lead to heaven? Um, do all roads go to the same place? We saw in Hinduism that the end point is not the same. Our desired goal is not the same. Um, you're going to see the same thing with uh, Buddhism. And so they're not all the same. Are they all equal paths of salvation? Well, we looked at that in Hinduism. And I want you to remember, I want you to think about this, that everything we talked about in the Hinduism message about being made right with God by faith alone in Jesus alone, all of that stuff applies to um, the, the other religions as well. So you can take that and apply it. Um, today we're going to be looking at Buddhism and we're going to take another um, theological concept that if you have a conversation with someone of that religion, you can share with them. Um, I, I want to be very clear about this. If you weren't there at the Hindu message, um, I want you to understand the heart behind this. The heart behind this is not to belittle anyone. It's not to put anybody down. It's not to try to make anyone look stupid. It's not to make anyone um, feel like less of a person. It's so that we can honestly, um, in an educated, uh, informed way, be able to have a conversation. It's so that we can know more of what we believe. You'll notice the format of these messages is that we hit a little bit up front uh, on what this religion is. The rest of the time we spend it talking about something out of God's word, what we believe. Um, I believe that we don't have to uh, defend ourselves. We have the truth on our side. And so we're going to talk about that today. So we'll be in Colossians chapter two. It's going to be a minute before we get there. Um, before we jump into Colossians, I want to show you a testimony of a young lady by the name of Sharp, who we met in Minneapolis when we went to a place called Engage Global. Um, we went and learned about other religions. We went and were able to share the gospel with people from other religions. Um, and she's one of the young ladies that we met. Um, she actually has converted from Buddhism to Christianity. Um, and so I want you to see her testimony. I think it outlines a lot of things about Buddhism that'll help us understand that faith more. Um, and then we're going to go through a few um, facts about Buddhism, um, what they believe, what they don't believe, that kind of thing. And then we're going to jump in. Okay. So check out this testimony video and then I'll be back in about six minutes. My mom sent me to boarding school in, well, downtown of that province, Petrobun, is Catholic school for, you know, a better education, for example, a better English teaching over there. 
And during junior high and high school time, I moved to Bangkok, and that school is a governmental school, so it is Buddhism based. Everything is tied up to Buddhism belief, like we want to do something good because we want our next life to be better. Into Thai culture, we bo you born with your past sin. So either this life you're gonna do better for your next life, or this life you're gonna get worse and your next life might be a dog, a worm. So, you know, it's a lot of pressure to be a better person. When I was young, my mom sent me to Buddhism camp during summertime, so I would just woke up at 3 in the morning, start praying and sometimes meditation and you know I even got the notebook to jot down whether you know what do I do good today and what do I do bad today so the list is kind of making me see like okay the list of doing good is like this but the list of doing bad is like that and day by day I was like man this is hard to keep everything balanced or even outweighed it just give me a thought that there is no way that I could do it by myself it was in high school, my friend became Christian and I just thought that her life has changed but that it doesn't really matter to me just because people in Thailand they always say every religion teaches you to be a good person so I was like well Christian is good, Buddhism is good so I guess we're good <laughs> but one day one of the classmates wanted to commit suicide and nobody could really calm her down, even though the teacher. So this classmate went to her and told her that, you know what, if the world doesn't love you, God loves you, that is enough. So I was like, okay, who exactly God is? But I haven't searched for God myself until I went to college. And yet I didn't search for it, <laughs> my roommate. Uh, she liked to study English. We had a lot of talk. She explained it to me and if I want to know God, I have to have the relationship with God. When I told my mom that I became Christian, well, back then I was in college, so I called her. You know, after I became Christian, out of, you know, excitement, like, Mom, I became Christian! And my mom just suddenly cried, like, you've been brainwashed by those American people. Yeah, and it took me so many years. You know, when I get back home, they'll be like, why don't you pay the respect for your ancestor? Why don't you burn some paper money for your grandmother? You are such a bad kid. And yet, you know, trying to respect my family and being a Christian at the same time is hard. When I first became the believer, my mom took me to the monk and to talk to the monk. And the monks just said that, you know what, your Christian God is so selfish. He just claimed everything to be His, the whole world is, is His. Isn't that such a selfish thing to say, an arrogant thing to say? I have a lot of strange experience with Christian. Even though I am a Christian myself, I get scared. Like sometimes people would just knock on my door and just like be excited like God heal my asthma, do you want to listen about it? I was like, 
even though I'm Christian, I get scared by that. And the, the most extreme case that I have seen was when I was working in downtown, there was a big Christian group there and we, with a big speaker. They just kind of shut down the intersection and say, you are a sinner and God is the only way. You are bad. You are, you, you're going to go to hell. And I was like, I am a Christian, yet I am scared of this. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to share God's spell with you know, people of my culture, I really think that it's more like friend. He's talking to friend, trying to understand each other. People believe that when you meditation enough, you maybe can think back to your old past life, what you used to be, or it just gives you peace of your mind. For me, when I meditate, it actually gives the peace of my mind. But after I became Christian, I view that peace differently. It's like the peace that I earn from meditation is like I earn it. And once you know, I get out of the room, that I sit back, relax, and be by myself. You know, get into the real world where things are chaotic. I feel like my peace just go away, and it's so hard to keep it. You know, compared to Christianity peace, which is like it's inner peace, and it doesn't matter what situation is. You just how bad the situation is. You just know that you have the peace in your mind, which is awesome. The thing that keep me studying the Bible and keep me wanting to know God more is the community, Christian community that I am in. I just know that um, this community is different. People just love, genuinely, genuinely love each other, which really, yeah, keep me close. Just I want to explore more why, and you know the answer is God. So I was like. I want to know God more. <laughs>so that's sharp she was uh she is an awesome girl she's uh full of joy of the lord i mean she was as you can see in there she was very bubbly it was really cool to talk to her um one of the things that i've heard from people whether they are from another religion or whether they are uh just um, a non-believer is that one of the things that they have to do is they have to belong before they believe and many times what we expect is for people to believe before we allow them to belong um, Sharp and the, the person you'll see next week um, who converted from Islam to Christianity, uh, you'll see that they both had very close relationships with people before they became believers. And so we need to be a people who, as she said, we show the love of Christ to them. Um, and there's no room for hatred and bigotry in, in any uh, aspect of Christianity, whether we're talking about other religions or non-believers or whatever. Uh, we should be people who are known for the love of God who are known to be different because of the love of God. And so um, I do want to spend just a few minutes looking at some other uh, attributes, um, some other beliefs and some other um, unbeliefs of Buddhism. So we're gonna put up some slides real quick and I'm gonna go through these. Um, the founder, and I've been practicing this name all week. I'm probably still gonna screw this up, just so you know. Um, Siddhartha Gautama, okay? Um, yeah, you can laugh um, because every time I try to say something with any accent, it comes out Hispanic. So um, I don't know why, um, but he's also known as the Buddha. He sought enlightenment around the sixth century BC. What he began to do is to figure out why um, is there suffering? 
He started seeing suffering around him. He started wondering why is it there. Um, he left his wife, his, his son, and he went and began to pursue nirvana, which we'll hear more about in just a minute, um, this place of uh, enlightenment. So um, that's the founder of Buddhism. Uh, next slide, the holy book in origins. Not necessarily a holy book, <clears throat> excuse me, but there are truths that they adhere to. The first four of those are the four noble truths. The first one being the truth of suffering, that suffering is universal. So in other words, everyone suffers. It's just a part of life. It's a part of existence. The second one is the truth of the origin of suffering, that the cause of suffering is desire. And you're gonna hear this a lot, that desire is the problem. We suffer because we put our desire into temporary things. Um, the next slide, the third noble truth is the truth of the cessation of suffering. Overcoming ignorance, um, to, to see the cessation of suffering, we overcome ignorance and we eliminate desire. The fourth one, the truth of the path to the cessation of suffering. This is how you do that, how you overcome ignorance and how you eliminate desire is you suppress desire by following the middle way, the noble eightfold path. And so those are the four noble truths um, that they would adhere to. We'll look at the noble eightfold path here in a second. Next slide. Uh, the date of practice, it began about 2,500 years ago in Nepal, India. The standard of practices, there's no belief in a personal God. It's a pantheistic religion, as you'll see in a minute, meaning that God is creation, God is nature, God is the universe. Um, and so there's no belief in a personal God. Um, Buddhists can worship at home or in a temple, corporate, Temple worship is not essential. The Eightfold Path is how someone reaches nirvana. And we'll look at the next slide. It'll show us what that Eightfold Path is. The first thing is to accept the, accept the Buddhist teachings, um, the teaching of the Buddha. And then you see that those um, also include right intention, right action, right effort, right concentration, right speech, right livelihood, right mindfulness. And if you can master that, then um, you know, you're on the right path, you, you're on the right movement. It's pantheistic, as I said. Um, the next slide, as we look at that, the view of salvation and how it's attained. The Buddhists seek to reach nirvana. Um, to reach nirvana means extinguishing the fires of desire. Um, and the next slide, I believe, will tell you a little bit about what nirvana is. It's, it's basically an abstract void. The best way I need, know to describe it is it's sort of just um, evaporating. It's sort of just going away. Desire is gone, um, and you just kind of become, go into nothingness. Uh, the problem is we suffer because we desire that which is temporary, and we continue in the illusion of the existence of self. So the solution is to cease all desire and to realize the non-existence of self. Um, how do we do that? By self-reliance. You heard Sharp talk a lot about how she kept a list of the goods and the bads, the, the good things she did, because it was a lot of um, doing it yourself, um, being good enough uh, so that your karmic merit would uh, warrant you coming back as something better or actually reaching nirvana. We got another one or is that it? That's it, cool. All right, so that's very brief. Listen, I know we can't cover everything in depth, uh, but it gives you an idea. If you're interested in that, I'd encourage you to study it more. We can equip you with some resources for that. But what I wanna look at today and give you one theological concept that is important um, for us to understand as Christians deals with a lot of what we talked about, some of what Sharp talked about, um, and that is desire. How many of you have lived long enough to know that suppressing desire is almost a futile attempt, right? 
It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, just to suppress desire is, is very difficult in and of itself. Um, you know, Buddha left his wife, left his son, went to go find and seek nirvana, getting alone. Um, I could probably suppress some desire if I was alone um, and, and off by myself. The thing I need, though, is a God who can help me with desire and help me live like he does with a wife, three kids, bills, um, a job, all of those things going on. Amen. It's like trying to get uh, get get uh, away is um, not very feasible. We have a practical life to live and we have a practical God who comes in and gives us that ability. Today, out of the book of Colossians, I want to talk to you about that. How do we um, overcome sinful desire? How do we, because see, here's the thing, and this is where we would differ greatly about with Buddhism is that we don't believe that all desire is bad. Because God created us with a desire in us, and that desire is in us so that we would desire Him. So the thing that we need to do, the thing that we need to look at, and the thing we need to work at um, is not that we would get rid of all desire and become so good that somehow we escape this life and escape a cycle of life, death, and rebirth. Um, The thing that we need to do is to realize that um, in Christ we have the fullness of God. In Christ is where we find our satisfaction. It's often easy for us to think that um, somehow we can find it in other things. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is I want you to see that and understand that our satisfaction, our desire is not necessarily bad. Desire outside of the will of God, desire outside of the context of God, yes, that can lead us into sin. But desire in and of itself is good when it's focused in the right direction. And so Colossians chapter 2, let's read some verses here that we're going to be talking about and then we will jump in. We're going to pray after we read and then we'll jump in. It says in uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 6, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Before we keep reading, I want to set this up. This is Paul dealing with more people coming in and really trying to spy on the freedoms of the church. In the book of Galatians that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, I told you that these were people coming in and they were trying to add something to the gospel. Um, They were trying to say, you can believe in Jesus, but you need to add this circumcision or you need to add this type of worship. You need to add this ceremonial cleansing to your faith if you're going to be saved. Um, So Paul was rebuking that. Here in Colossians, it's a little different in that these people are coming in and telling them if they want to live in the fullness of God, they've got to add something to faith. They've got to add some of these things that we're going to look at today, Um, traditions, philosophies. They've got to add uh, communicating to God through angels as mediaries, all of these different things um, that were going on in that time. And the point and the thing I want you to see today, the takeaway from this today is that that doesn't have any ability to curve, to to cure our sensual desires. Um, What has the ability to cure and to uh, curve those sensual desires, those desires that tend to lead us astray, is when we set our heart and we set our mind on the one who set us free. And as we do that, we begin to see a change in us. And so, and we look, as we look at these texts, I want you to understand where we're coming from, where Paul was coming from as he wrote this. He's writing this to the Colossians to try to save them from thinking that they don't have the fullness of God, that they don't have the ability to overcome in Christ these desires and to live a godly life, to become Christ-like. And so in 2.20, it says this, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, 
These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, meaning they basically improperly motivated worship, their false humility, basically saying you act pious and you act um, humble, but in reality you're just puffing yourself up. And he says, and their harsh treatment of the body, asceticism, this, this treating ourselves, starving ourselves, doing all of these things, that in some respects discipline is good, but when we begin to do discipline to try to please God um, or to try to gain something from God, it becomes wrong when we discipline ourselves to read the word or pray or do any of those things so that we can experience God. There's a lot of difference in doing that to experience God using uh, the, the means of grace that God's given us to experience him. There's a lot of difference in that and then trying to somehow appease him or attain salvation or attain the fullness of God through our works, it comes only by faith. And so he says, don't do any of this. He says, this false humility and the harsh treatment of the body, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Verse one of chapter three says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And this is our hope. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your heart for us, your love for us, your grace in our lives. God, I thank you that in the next few minutes, you would speak to our hearts about who you are. God, so many times our eyes get taken off of you. God, let us lock our eyes on you. Let us follow you. Let us set our heart on you. Let us set our mind on you, God, the one who set us free. We love you and we thank you for loving us, for your grace and mercy in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you are sweets people? Like you like to eat sweets. Like you would cut somebody's, no, never mind. You would like whack somebody if, if you could have sweet. Yeah, I'm kind of like that. How many of you started liking sweets more the older you got, right? The older you get, the more I like sweets and the less they tend to like me is... That would be a demonstration of right there. Um, well, I brought this with me. If you could see this on camera, no, I didn't just, I just, this isn't like my secret friend. I don't just carry this around with me. But um, I brought this piece of cake with me to make a demonstration to illustrate something to you today. And the thing I want you to see is um, that this piece of cake is scrumptious, number one, right? It has uh, red, it is red velvet cake, which, yeah, see, y'all are on my page now. We are. We are tracking with each other. And, and, and it's got this amazing looking icing. This will be my lunch in just a few minutes. And it's got pecans, 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 pecan, not pecans, pecans on the outside, right? And so uh, I just want to demonstrate that because here's the thing, if you're a sweets lover, you know this. If you start craving red velvet cake, does caramel cake work? No. If you start craving brownies that are warm with ice cream on top, does red velvet cake work? Who's hungry? Some of y'all are like, we're going straight for dessert when we leave here. And, and 
And, and the thing and the point I want you to see is that just like we have desires like that that are only satisfied, it seems, by certain things, the, the fact of the matter is all of our desire, all of the desire within us was given to us so that we would desire God, so that we would long for him. The problem is we live in this sin-filled world. We live in a world that has been marred by sin. Temptation is all around us. And many times we divert our desire over to other things. Um, our eyes begin to be distracted from God and we begin to put them on other things. Um, and, and I want you to understand that that desire in you, um, desire in and of itself is not bad. It's when it's misdirected that it begins to lead us off into sin. And the thing we know about sin is that sin leads us into destruction. Um, and so this desire for sinful things is a, re, a misappropriation. Um, it's, being, it's using desire in the wrong context um, of what God de desires for us to use it in. It's, it's interesting if you think about Buddhism because the, the point of it is to get rid of desire. But the interesting thing about that is that you desire to get rid of desire, so how do you ever rid yourself of desire? It's a self-defeating religion. It's a self-defeating philosophy. It's a self-defeating thought. But Christianity says that we're not supposed to get rid of desire. Desire is to be used in the right way, in the right context, to be pointed towards God so that we desire him. We desire a personal relationship with him. We want to know him. And see, the Bible tells us in this text, in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, it tells us that just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. In this text, he's telling us what we should do. He's telling us how we go about overcoming this sense desires. He's saying continue as you started. How did they continue? They continued in faith. They continued in relationship. And it says to continue living in him. And he tells them four things. One, he says, be rooted. In other words, dig deep roots down into the truth. Get to know him as he really is. It says, then, then be built up. Let that nourishment that you get from the truth build you up and make you strong in the faith. All of those words, if you look at them in the actual Greek, are words that indicate this is something that God is doing. God is digging our roots deep. God is building us up. He's strengthening our faith so that we can stand. And when temptation comes, we can stand. He's building us up so that in faith, we devote ourselves to him. We set our hearts on him. We set our minds on him. And listen to this last verse in that, or last sentence in that. It says overflowing with thanksgiving or thankfulness. And so I want you to see this. See, here's the key. And he tells us this over in chapter three, that the key is that we set our hearts on the things above, that we set our minds on the things above, that we live out of a life of thankfulness. How many of us, our affections are stirred by what Jesus has done for us? How many of us are stirred when we think about the gospel that God gave his son? He gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Are we stirred inside when we read this and we begin to understand that Jesus himself took our sin, even though he had no sin, he became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. See, he was righteous, we weren't. He became unrighteous so we can make that exchange. Are we stirred by that? It may not make sense to the world, but when you've come to faith in Christ, there's something in us that begins 
begins to circulate. There's something in us that begins to be stirred. There begins to be a desire for God that's created because God does something in us that no one else could do. He gives us a new heart. We go from being bent towards sin to being bent towards God. And when I say that, I mean our ultimate desire is for him. It is for God, not to just go off and do our own thing. It doesn't mean that we become perfect. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what it does mean is that our heart is, I want to pursue him. I want to have him. Let me ask you this today. Is your heart full of thankfulness, even on a cloudy, gloomy day for what God, for what God has done in your life? Are you thankful? Because see, here's the problem. If we're not thankful, if our heart's not stirred by the gospel, if there's not something in us that when we hear the gospel, when we think about what Jesus has done for us, if our heart isn't stirred, then I have to believe we haven't yet understood the gospel. If our heart isn't stirred by, by what Jesus did for us, the sacrifice he made for us, that have to say that we have yet to really know him and meet him. If we're not enthused and, and reinvigorated and refreshed, refreshed every time we hear what Jesus has done, I don't care if it's the millionth time, if we're not stirred, if there's not something in us that says, thank you, God, then I have to wonder, is he really pleasing to us? Do we have this desire for him? Do we have an affection for him? Have we set our hearts on him? Have we set our minds on him? Our hearts, our affections, our desires, our wants. Um, is he the thing that we want more than anything else? Have we set our mind on him, our thoughts, our intentions, our plans? Have we set those? Have we surrendered those to him? Is he our all in all? Is he like the air that we breathe? Do we literally want him more than we want water on a hot, dry day? Is there something in us that's stirred by him? See, see, if not, then I wonder, have we grasped the gospel? Have we grasped the good news? Have we grasped what Jesus has done for us? Have we set our hearts and our minds on him? The other day I went for a run um, and I ran down the greenway here um, and, and it was a long run for me, like hundred yards. Um, but no, it was actually a little further than that, but I went and I ran and I was coming back and as I topped the hill up there, you know, when I run, man, it's just a struggle to survive. I'm just telling you. Um, I'm just like, <laughs> if you see me, you'll try to pick me up. Like, not because you're like, man, he looks good, but man, he's about to die, right? And so I'm running down the road and trying to get here and trying to make it back. And, and I topped the hill out there and man, it hit me right in the face. The nice warm uh, smell of porta potty um, hit me right in the face. And, uh, it wasn't like baked cookie, it was nasty. And so it hit me, I was like, oh, man, it was just terrible. And so I'm like, oh, I tried to run and get away from it. You know, it's like the wind followed me wherever I went. And so, um, and I tell you that because as soon as I hit it, it was repugnant. It wasn't nice. It didn't make me go, wow, I'm going inside one of those. Like, I didn't feel that. What, it, what I felt was, man, I want to get away from that. And, and, and I say that to say this, we should feel that way about sin and about desire that leads us away from God. And we should feel the opposite of that towards God and being drawn towards him. 
So that's what happens when God puts a new heart in us. Ezekiel 36, hundreds of years before Christ prophesied that God would do something in us that we couldn't do for ourselves, that he would give us a new heart. It's called regeneration. When God gives us a new heart, he gives us a new life and we begin to live for him. And so we, do, do we have that? Do we have that repugnant feel towards sin and towards um, our own sin and towards just the evil in the world and, and this feeling not of judgmentalism, not of bigotry, but this feeling of, man, I don't want that anymore. I want God. Again, I'm telling you, you're not perfect at this. None of us are. But is that our heart that we want to pursue this? We're going to go after this, right? Or is it that I'm still living this way? This is what I still desire and what I want. Which one is it? Because we need to see that. We need to understand that. He goes on and and tells us uh, in verses six and seven, he shows us how we should live being in faith in Christ, knowing him. See, here's the problem for many of us. It, it talks about this thankfulness. How many of you remember when you first got saved? Like you can remember that day you first got saved, man. Did it not feel like the weight of the world came off of your shoulders? Did it not, what is it not the most amazing thing? The grace of God. And were you not just kind of giddy for a little while? Like you're just like, he, he, you know, you just loved God. And then all of a sudden it began to wane. It began to fade. Why was that? Because you went to church, that's why, right? It's like you went, and then instead of it being about Jesus, it all of a sudden became about these rules. It all of a sudden became, as you see in verses eight, or verse eight, he says, this is a warning. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. In other words, don't let anybody put you in bondage. Don't let anybody rob the prize of Jesus from you. Don't let anybody come in and take that away from you. The joy of your salvation. He says, don't let them come in and take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. He's saying this is empty stuff is basically what he's saying. He said, it depends on human tradition and the basic principles of tradition, religion, philosophy, um, demonic spirits, worshiping angels, all of these things that he's dealing with in the book of Colossians. And he says, these basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. And so many times what happens is when we come to faith in Christ, all of a sudden, Christians, well-meaning Christians, begin to give us things to do rather than someone to know. And the call of our life is not something else to do. We've got plenty to do. The call of our life is someone to know. And that is Jesus. Because it is that relationship that changes our lives. It's when we set our heart, our devotion, our desire on him. It's when we set our minds on him. That's why we read the word of God. It's not so that God is pleased with us. It's so that we can know him more. Because when we know him more, we will love him more. We'll obey him more and he'll be pleased, right? And inside the fact of that, we're already pleasing in his sight, not because of our performance, but because of the performance of Jesus on the cross. And so we need to understand the difference in that. So many times we come to church and it just becomes about religion. It just becomes about tradition or even about philosophy. It becomes about all of these things other than Jesus when it's just as simple as it can be. What did Jesus say? He said, follow me. How hard, like how complicated is that? I mean, do we, it, we get into all of this stuff and pretty soon it becomes about the color of the wall or it becomes about whether or not to have a piano or it becomes about whether or not to have guitars and drums and it, where it comes about, uh, you know, well, we can't move that pew. It's got somebody's name on it. It becomes about all of these things rather than about Christ. It becomes about, I got some mud on my shoes today. 
Jesus got some blood on his face and his hands and his feet and he spilled it out of his side for you. We can take a little mud on our shoes. You know what I'm saying? It becomes about so many things other than knowing Christ. It becomes about a relationship when we keep it simple. And it's just about him. And my, my heart and my, 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 I would plead with you today is come back to him. That's the point. In verses 16 and 17, I don't have a lot of time, but in verses 16 and 17, Paul tells them this, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. Isn't that? These were a shadow. In other words, all of these things that they're telling you have to do, they're a shadow of what's to come. It's not telling us we don't have to do anything. It's telling us that these outward things can't motivate us inwardly. And the reason we do things, the reason we serve, the reason we give, the reason we do all of those things is because God has motivated us by what he's done for us and what he's done in us. And he's saying all of those things, these external things, they're just a shadow of the things that were to come. And listen to this. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See, so many times we let shadows become the thing that we worship, even good things like church. We come in and it's like this becomes what we try to feast on. But see, this is a means to the feast. This is a means to encountering Jesus. The songs we sing and people are like, well, I don't like that music. Well, we're not singing to you. I mean, like if, if we were singing to you, we would worry about that. But we're singing to God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus. And so we need to understand that. So many times the tradition or how we go about it, it becomes the focal point. It becomes about the rules. It becomes about that, that, that thing, you know, that, that man, it, that takes our eyes off of Christ. And I was thinking about that many times. It's like this, and it talks about these shadows. And if you could see this, I don't know if you can with the camera or not, as I hold this up into the light, this scrumptious, delightful piece of cake, it casts a shadow over on the side. And now if I was craving some red velvet cake, which I am, how foolish and how stupid would you think I am if I were to try to eat the shadow? That wouldn't make much sense. I have to eat the cake. How many times do we spend our life in the shadow? See, for many of us, it would be like having a red velvet cake craving and going and sitting in a bakery for an hour and 15 minutes. We have to eat the cake. We've got to know Him. We've got to eat from his body. We've got to drink from his blood in the sense of fellowshipping with him, knowing him, walking with him. That's what he died for, to give us that relationship. And it's when we're focused on him and we're just pursuing him, not focused on the sin, not focused on just the desire, but focused on, I want him. After what he's done for me, I want him. After what he gave for me, I want him. 
And we begin to do that, it's amazing how everything else begins to fade away. Because as we pursue him, we see him more clearly. And as we see him more clearly, these other things begin to fail in comparison to him. We see how glorious he is and how puny these things are. I'll just be very honest with you. I'll be just as transparent as I can be with you this morning. I put this into practice. It's not just something I'm preached, it's something I tried to live. Probably because I knew I had to preach it, just to be honest. But last night, laying there and I'm flipping the TV around, just kind of channel surfing. Yeah, I have a TV. And I'm flipping it around. And there's some things on Saturday night as it starts getting late that you really shouldn't watch, right? And I'm flipping it around and there was something in me that goes, watch that. And I was like, I don't need to watch that. Watch that, I don't need to watch that. Watch that, I don't need to watch that. And then finally it hit me. I was like, what I'm about to do is not channeling the desire that God's given me in the right direction. And I began to reverse my thinking. I began to think about what Christ did for me on the cross. And I began to think about Jesus giving his life for me. And I began to thank him for that. And it took me away from the other. Because see, those are in two different directions. Sin is this way, God is that. I can't pursue sin and God at the same time. So it's this point where I have to set my heart and set my desire. It's a point where I have to surround myself with other people who will help me set my heart and set my mind on Christ. And God calls us to this. The question I would ask you is not do you have struggles because we all have struggles. The question is, where are your affections? Where are your desires? question is, have you submitted that struggle to God? Have you yielded that thing to Him? Because here's the thing I can promise you, He wants to walk through this with you. He is the answer to all of life's struggles. There's a church of people here, a group of people here who would love to walk this through with you. See, here's the thing, talking about sin and talking about struggles and talking about all of this stuff, it's not the popular thing. It's not the politically correct thing, but I believe it's what the church exists to do. It's to provide hope when there is none. And our great hope is Christ. Our great hope is Jesus and the work he does in us. See, one of the problems that the church has is this. We often claim that what is dead is a work in progress, and we claim that what's a work in progress is dead. Many times we look at people, and because of the way they look externally, we say, well, they're alive. They must know Christ. When in reality, there is no affection for him in their heart. And oftentimes we look at people who have real struggles in their life and they're making progress and we judge them off of where they are, not where they've come from. And we call what is alive dead and what's a work in progress we call dead. The question is not like, are you perfect? Because we can all answer that. No, ask somebody close to you. The question is, are we in progress? Are we walking with him? 
Do we know Him? And there'd be two reasons that we aren't. One is because we've never said yes to Him. We've never made Him the Lord and Savior of our life. The second one would be because we've taken our eyes off of Him. We haven't set our heart and our mind on Him. We've, we've gone to something else. My question today is where are you in that? Where are you in regards to Jesus? Listen, are you living, feasting on the Lamb of God? Or are you living in the shadows? Because this is too good to live in the shadows. He's too good to settle for shadows. And that's the heart of what we want for you is to know him. And when you, when you step away, when you do walk away, because you will, to be there to help restore you and bring you back, to remind you of his goodness, of his grace, of his love for you, so that you can walk with him again. He's right there, right there wanting this relationship. I'm gonna read one last scripture and then we're done. It's out of the, the gospel of Matthew chapter 11. Verses 28 through 30. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Did you hear that? Come to me, come to me. And all who are weary, all who are burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke. In other words, join up with me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Watch what I do. Follow my path. He yokes up with you. And guess what? He'll do the heavy lifting. He'll even pull for you. He will walk with you. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, he doesn't say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll make you more weary and I'll make you more burdened. And, and it'll be like when you hear the gospel or when you think about church, that it's like you smelled a portalette or a porta potty. It, it, no, it, it'll bring joy to your life. That's what Jesus desires. And those words have just been ringing in my head all morning long, come to me, come to me, come to me. About seven o'clock this morning, it hit me, come to me, come to me, come to me. And I believe that that's what God is saying to us today, saying to each one of us, saying to me, saying to you, is just come to me, just come to me. You lay your life down and come to me. Set your heart, set your desire, set your affections on me, set your mind on me. Quit destroying your life by pursuing the shadows and the things that'll never fulfill and come to to the reality of Christ, knowing him, walking with him, enjoying him, not something else to do, someone to know. Man, it's easy to get off of that. It's easy for me. Are you willing to come? Are you willing to come to him today? Here's the thing, I wanna ask you this question, is this, maybe you've never said yes to him. You never, maybe you've been in the shadows. You've been in the shadows of church, Bible study. Maybe you've been in the shadows of Christians. Maybe you've been in those shadows, but you've never eaten from the life that he gives. You've never shared that with him. But you know that's what you want. You know that God's spoken to your heart today and you would say yes to that offer of a relationship. Of nothing. It's, it's simply saying this, Jesus, you are my Lord, meaning you have my life. You have all that I am, everything I am and everything I ever will be. And it's saying you are my savior by faith in you. I'm trusting that my sin has been forgiven and that I can walk with you all the days of my life. Don't make a mistake about it and say that he is either one or the other. He's both. But he's spoken to your heart. He's knocking on the door of your heart today. And you would say yes to him today. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. 
I'm gonna ask you that you would stand to your feet. With everybody looking around, I know it's intimidating. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. You say yes to him, yes to an invitation, to a relationship with Jesus, to his lordship, to knowing him. Would you say yes to him today? You realize my affections haven't been set on him, but today I'm giving everything I have to him. He's here today to know that the Lord's speaking to your heart. are good things, but maybe we just realize we haven't feasted with the Lord in a while. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to be bold. We saw this place filled at nine o'clock with people coming just on the words of Christ where he says, come to me. But today, you know, there's something that you just need to surrender. It might be a good thing. Man, listen, listen, listen. Good people don't need prayer. Bad people don't need prayer. All people need prayer. But you say today, I need to need to come to God. Maybe you're just weary. Maybe you're just tired. Would you come and let him refresh you? I'm going to ask you right now, again, be very bold. Let's get out of our seat. Let's begin to move. This is the church. This is the family of God. We don't judge people. We don't make make judgments on them. We say yes to, to, to walking with you and trying to help you. You just get out of your seat and come to him. Maybe it's just been for a long time in your life, you've made it about the wrong thing. Maybe it became about tradition or became about formality or it became about doing something instead of someone that you know. And maybe it's just getting back even to being able to open your Bible and just read the word of God with a joy in your heart, not trying to dissect it in every other way that you can, but just letting God speak to you just allowing God to, to be uh, very present with you. Maybe it's just getting back to a time in your life where you were just willing to get quiet before the Lord and just listen to his voice. Maybe it's just, just once again saying, God, I want you to have all of me. Maybe it's that place of Peter when he finally surrendered that last supper. And he said, Jesus, not just my feet, but all of me. He just gave it all over. I'm gonna pray. If you know you need to still be moving, I'm gonna give you the opportunity while I'm praying, you come forward. When I say amen, we'll be dismissed, but you just come. Let us, let us pray. Our prayer team will be here. We'll be here to pray with you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for those who are here. And each person, God, whether they're in their seat or whether they're up here at the front, Jesus, would you just minister to their hearts? Would you just minister to us, God? You just let us feel your love. Just let us, God, just let us feel the love of the Spirit right now. Just flood our hearts, God. God, I pray right now, if we're, whether we're in the front or in our seat, that you would just begin to ease the tension. I just, I just really just want to pray for somebody. Maybe you're still sitting, but you're just feeling very uh, anxious. I don't know what it what it is that's going on but you're just anxious anxious up to the point where you don't know that you can hold it together can i pray for you would you just raise your hand and let me pray for you anxiety seems to be eating you up okay all right let's pray god i just pray that you would be their peace speak peace to their hearts and to their lives god you calm the wind you calm the rain now speak peace into them holy spirit just flood them 
the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, Lord, I just ask that you would flood them with your spirit, the perfect spirit of God, the spirit of peace, the counselor, the comforter. God, would you be that to them now? Let them cast their cares upon you. Let them cast their cares upon you. You who are faithful, you who are strong. God, we thank you. Thank you for each person who's responded to you today. God, let us set our hearts, let us set our minds firmly on you and continue to move in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.